Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, every office you go to in the land, you'll hear the word team, team, join your team, have a team meeting, who's head of your team, who is the team leader. You'll constantly hear that word reinforced as the cult of the team hits every office at every sector there is in the economy. But how important is it to build a winning team? Well, my next guest may be able to tell us a little bit about that. His name is James Schooler and he is the author of How to Build Winning Teams Again and Again and Have People Asking How You Did It. Good afternoon to you, James. Good afternoon, Emmett. Thank you for joining us. You are the author of Are You Serious About Building Winning Teams? And uh, the word winning, we'll come on to that in a second. Where Can you first of all define what a team is? I mean, this is wish to be just called collective working or working with somebody beside you. Obviously, years ago, you had a lot of artisans that were just sitting in a, in a workshop on their own. We had some uh, handcrafted toy makers on a few minutes ago who'd know a little bit about that. So what exactly is a team, to your mind at least? Well, a team is uh, a group of people, usually under 12 people at work, who are committed to a particular goal they've set for themselves. They've got a blend of skills. They've got a blend of roles and they hold themselves jointly accountable for achieving it. You know, I hold myself accountable for achieving my bit, but I'll also hold you accountable for achieving your bit. Uh, And it's all wrapped together. And we win as a team and we fail as a team. Now, in terms of that winning team description, a lot of people look to sport, which doesn't always transfer as smoothly over to the corporate workplace, but people insist on doing it. But in terms of the actual team, what is the thing that make what differentiates one group and says this group will be successful, this group will be unsuccessful? Are there some things that you can isolate and identify to say this group will be a winning team? Ah, and there's the problem. You've gone straight to it, Emma. It's not one of these things. And I've got clients who say, James, tell me the secret or tell me the three big things um, uh, that will mean that we'll win. And I'm afraid this is why you hear top sports coaches say there is no one secret. There is no one thing. It's more complex than that. But if you if you if you force me. Um, yeah, we will. By the way, this is so <laughs> difficult. This is why people get fired in sport. And this is why only people like Ferguson and Guardiola survive. If you force me, I could probably come up with three things that would probably say they will win rather than lose if you force me to, to, to the wall. OK, off you go. OK. <laughs> I'm not uh, stopping one. on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. OK, well, I would say one, you've got to get the blend of roles and behavioural styles right. You, what you don't want to do is appoint the equivalent of 11 goalkeepers or 11 strikers by mistake, because if you do, you're going to leave huge gaps in your team. And that's exactly what most teams, particularly senior teams in business, end up with if they choose on sell, on job titles alone. So these people may know their subjects like manufacturing or tech or sales, but they may well have the same mindsets and behavioral tendencies in a work group, like wanting to dominate or coming up with ideas, but without being interested in following through or just standing back and criticizing new ideas. So you got to have a winning blend. That's the first thing. And so many teams get that wrong. The second is, have they defined their top priority, their number one goal with supporting metrics? So there's no question what defines success or failure in the next six What are we trying months? to do? Why are we here? What, what's well, the no, objective? Emmett, it's even more um, narrow than why are we here. That's more what I call the basic purpose, the raison d'etre, as the French would call it. No, this is what we've got to get done in the next three, six, 12 months, more okay. than anything else. And if you can get that nailed and get everybody enthusiastic about it, 
that unites and galvanize. Again, I find most people don't know that. And then I'd say the third. Drum um, roll, drum roll. You've got to agree how you're going to reach decisions to minimize power battles. Just about every team I've coached um, have never agreed how they're actually going to arrive at those decisions, decisions that stick. So if you get those three things right, I'm not saying it's going to head off all your problems. You're definitely going to have to build trust as well. And it won't take you to what I call a true winning team, but it will give you a much better start than most teams. Now, let's do a little thought experiment while I have you on the air. If I got 12 individuals and I put them into 12 cubicles and I gave them a task and then separately I get 12 people and put them together, are we convinced, I mean, there's obviously lots of literature on this, but are we convinced that the 12 working together actually will beat the 12 individuals? And what I mean by that is this is unquestioned. So I'm just wondering, do you question it? In other words, is team working going to be guaranteed more productive or more than likely to be more productive than 12 people working on their own? The reason I say that, you'll always have somebody who says, I actually prefer to work on my own or I do stuff better on my own. So not everyone seems to be naturally inclined to be in a team. Do do we ever think about that or is it just it's accepted that the sum of parts is always better? Uh, no, uh, I definitely think about it and it's something major I raise in the, uh, the first of the books because... Um, it is true that there are certain challenges where you don't need to operate as a team. Emmett, you really only need a team if what you've got to get done absolutely forces a bunch of people to combine their talents and skills and know-how to either create something together or solve a problem together or execute something together or all three. If if you can achieve what needs to be done by the leader working you know singly with each member of the group in, in in sort of almost like pairs so the leader's the hub and the rest are spokes if the total of those individual efforts are enough to achieve the goal you don't need a team but you need a team if those individual efforts won't deliver what you want yeah so you're you're actually quite open you're saying there are circumstances where a team is not you're not buying into the full cult you're not going all the way of all team working i'm also intrigued by one phrase you've isolated in your books which is this phrase pseudo team that doesn't sound good. Tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it isn't, a, it isn't a term I invented. I've got to give credit to uh, guys called Katzenbach and Smith 30, 35 years ago. The pseudo team, and you, I bet you'll have worked in one. I have. The pseudo team is the team that says, right, it's the 21st century. We need to be democratic. Uh, a team is what we want. They don't have that defining challenge that says, actually, we've got to pool our efforts to get things done here. They think that it's all about staying united, being nice to each other, supporting each other, being kind to each other. But eventually, if they keep pushing that, their performance will dip. They'll start finger pointing. They'll start blaming and scapegoating. So they're, they're try- they think it's all about teamwork and being nice, but actually teams have genuine disciplines. So they get themselves into real trouble. And frankly, they give teams a bad name. Now, let's talk about leadership. We all, you know, you often hear this in the sporting domain. Well, they had a great captain or the manager was brilliant and it sort of downgrades the other members of the team. But equally, sometimes you just need, as you said, someone to make a decision, to make the call. We're going to do this and we're not going to do this other thing or we're going to do this thing here ahead of this other thing. So how important is it? You talk about democracy. Um, also, they can be autocratic teams. Like how much does everyone's voice matter? How much uh, leeway do you give everyone's voice? Or do you actually need somebody at the end of the day to step forward and say, 
Not all of you are going to agree with this. Not all of you are going to be comfortable with this. But we're doing this thing here. How? Just just tell us about where democracy comes into teams in that sense. Yeah, it's an important question, and quite a few clients ask me that one. It depends, Emmett, on the nature of the decision. Most decisions that teams are facing are not what I would call emergency decisions. And in those cases, that's when I would say you you need democracy. But look, there are times when... Well, imagine there's a fire crew. Uh, you and I are in a fire crew, and I'm the I'm the sort of the chief of the fire crew. You're on my team. We pile up at this uh, 11-story building. It's on fire. There's a woman on the 11th floor hanging out with her baby, screaming for help. And I get you and the others together, and we'll say, right, how was your weekend today? Um, what do you think we should uh, do here? What do you think the options are? No, you'd be screaming at me to sort of say, right, do this, do that, and you would accept it instantly. So it's the same with surgical crews. It's the same with, you know, elite military units. There are times when you've got to have emergency decisions and everybody gets it. Somebody makes a decision and you snap into your, you know, prearranged drills and, and routines. But most decisions in teams don't require that. So it, the answer is it depends on the decision and the context, Emmett. Yeah, and also we, we, military is often asserted as being you know, something to look at here because they have very short uh, lines of command because they have to make decisions. If somebody's firing a grenade at you or uh, artillery, you don't have a chance to sit around and say, hey, folks, let's have a, let's have a kind of a, a meet-up exactly. uh, in the next hour. So can we learn something from that, uh, uh, the military thing, which is it's very quick-fire decision-making? Obviously, they make mistakes as a result as well. Uh, we can see that any front line. But is there something to be learned from that context where... You have less people and one centralised figure, an officer in the army, obviously making a decision. Well, this may surprise you, but the elite forces like the Delta Forces in America and the uh, Special Air Service in Britain, the SAS, uh, I don't know what you have in Ireland, but you probably... The Irish Rangers, yes. Uh, Okay. Um, The interesting thing about them is they all tell you the same thing, and I've interviewed some of them. They all tell you the same thing. Uh, hierarchy does not matter in their units. They're not interested in who the captain is or whatever. Uh, if they think the captain has come up with a bad plan, they'll tell him or her. They'll, they won't put up with fools. Uh, and democracy there in, a, in, a, in an elite military unit is the thing. And hierarchy is not the thing. So it's not a case of one person parceling out the orders and everybody saluting. It's incredibly democratic. And uh, if you're not up to scratch uh, and you're the official leader, you're in trouble. Yeah, and I suppose one of the problems that drags teams down, think about any modern corporation, multinational even, you know, you join the company, they say, right, here we are, James Schooler is joining this company. James, you're going to be based in the marketing section and you're going to work with John and Susan and Penny and Alan. And the only reason you're joining them is because that's the section you're in. In other words, the meld of your personalities has not been considered beforehand. You're just told, you got this job, you applied for it online, you're in, you've been hired, you did the interview, and we're now going to put you with these people. But there may be nothing empathy, there may be no connection, there may be nothing that actually links you up with those people in personality terms and just your look at your outlook on life. Is that a problem where you're you're putting people who just don't really have a huge connection apart from the fact that they work at the same place? They're not family members, they're not friends, they may have different interests. Is that what afflicts teams ultimately? Well, it's it's it, it, once again, there is no one single secret or key, but that in fact was what I was getting at. When you pushed me to the wall and said, you know, give me the give me the three, this Getting the blend of team roles and team behaviors right is certainly central. 
Uh, and there was some brilliant research done in the 1970s, which uh, younger people often aren't aware of and older people have often forgotten, which gradually over 10 years isolated the eight roles uh, in all work groups that made a difference. And there was a ninth that you sometimes needed if you needed certain specialist knowledge. It wasn't that they were to do with their personalities. It was more to to do with their mindsets and, and their tendencies when they were having to work together. So you might have somebody who is extremely good at coming up with solutions to complex problems or out-of-the-box ideas. Okay. You might have somebody who is very good at critiquing the um, the proposals and say, hang on a minute, okay. what about the risks here? All right, well, let's say, have... unfortunately, I have to cut you there a little bit. Okay. Uh, what you're saying is bringing people together of different types of backgrounds. As you said, mindsets is also important. James Schooler is the author of How to Build Winning Teams Again and Again and Have People Asking You How You Did It. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.